Welcome to ProctorCast, where we bring you plain English interviews all about the most relevant procurement topics of the day in short, coffee break-sized episodes. Because, hey, time's precious and you have got value to deliver. So now let's get straight into this week's show. Yes, a very warm welcome to ProctorCast. This is your monthly dose of procurement goodness from the Proctopus community. We are indeed the Proctopus community's official podcast. If you've not heard of Proctopus, then head over to LinkedIn or go to proctopus.co.uk and find out more. We do virtual events. We have a networking app and our aim is generally to bring procurement professionals together in a non-threatening space and just foster conversation and collaboration with one another. This month's podcast is going to be tackling the very, very important and very pertinent issue at the moment of diversity and inclusion. And we're going to be looking at and taking a journey to one of the countries that approach this topic first, really through necessity and through some of the facets of their history. So we're going to be taking a journey to South Africa. No, not to drink wine. We're going to be talking about the uh, diversity laws that came into place in South Africa after the fall of the apartheid regime in the 1990s and what that means day to day in terms of doing business there. So without any further ado, I would like to welcome Shime Goncalves from Supply Chain Partner. Shime, welcome to Proctocast. Thank you, James. Uh, It's an honor to be uh, on your podcast this morning. Thank you so much. And it's great, actually, to talk to someone in South Africa because I miss your wine and I miss your food. I spent (laughs) a little bit of time in South Africa back in my corporate days, and I have very fond memories of of South Africa and, indeed, Africa in general. Spent a bit of time in Nigeria as well, which was challenging and fun in equal measure. So, uh, Shimei, just give a quick overview of your company, Supply Chain Partner, and what you do, and then we'll, we'll dive straight in to talk a little bit about uh, triple BEE, as it's as it's called, and how that impacts you, and and what the legislation entails uh, down there in South Africa. Uh, thank you, James. So um, our company, Supply Chain Partner, uh, was founded in 2013. Uh, my background was in mining, um, specifically as a consultant and also as a strategic sourcing expert, um, and then eventually moving into a corporate mine where I ran their procurement and their supply chain business unit. And I think the reason we started our business was really out of empathy for procurement individuals. Um, uh, I suppose you could imagine also in your background, having worked in procurement, I think um, you're either in it for the love of it or, I don't know, or, or you're a masochist. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I, I, think, I think for us specifically, we just saw a need to help people on their journey into the cloud, into procurement specifically. So our business, although it's called Supply Chain Partner, we started focusing on procurement. Uh, And the big, hairy, audacious goal was to grow into a supply chain service provider. Um, But in South Africa at the time, you know, hardly any company had cloud tools to do procurement. Um, And as you've mentioned, um, you know, with Triple BE, 
there has been a move to a lot of admin in the process, added admin. Um, so I think in the South African context of procurement, it is probably a lot more complicated than in other countries because of the diversity and inclusion factors. So a lot more paperwork, a lot more things to track. And as you would know, in a normal procurement environment, there's already a lot of manual work that needs to be done. So I think we really started our business out of empathy for people working in procurement, knowing how hard it is, especially in a mining company, you know, money would rather go to getting um, minerals out of the ground than to spend it on a back office solution to help buy things smarter, faster, better. Um, So I think that was the start of our business um, and we combined it with tech. So the first couple of years we ran some sourcing events, some gain share models to help people that didn't have tools to get the benefits. Uh, And then as our company grew and we kind of tried to find the white space, uh, we started focusing on leading technologies um, and wrapping consulting around that. um, Also just to differentiate ourselves, not as a big four consulting business where there's a lot of intellectual slides, but actually practically let's get stuck in, roll up our sleeves, help you put tools in place. Um, and then we offer just enough consulting to make you kind of go on your way and partner with you along that journey, whether it's a light touch, medium touch or a high touch partnership. Got it. Thank you. So that's really good to set the scene. So you're, you're a classic knowledge-based economy business and essentially you're offering consultancy and you're also doing tech uh, tech implementations for, I believe, Cooper and SAP Ariba. Is that right? Uh, yes, I would say those are the two main, the core products in the South African environment um, because our market is really small. Uh, I know that Zykus, our valuer, um, obviously there's Oracle, there's Jagger, there's GEP, Assertus, we've had some conversations with. So, uh, you know, I think the landscape all the players are able to play, yeah? I think it's just still a small economy. Um, and I think most of the players are still kind of deciding, do we really want to invest there when there might be other markets um, where the opportunities might be a little bit larger at the moment? Got it. And that's a separate question entirely. I could talk for hours on procurement technology <laughs> because that's what <laughs> that's actually my, my main business. But let's roll this back a couple of steps. So for anyone that isn't really aware of the legislation in South Africa, which is probably going to be most of our listeners because we we are predominantly a European and North American audience. Just walk us through the real basics around what Triple BEE is and sort of how it came about, you know, sort of some of the history. And then we can talk about what it means to a to a sort of small or medium-sized business on a practical level. Um, Brilliant. Um, So, and I mean, I I don't claim to be an expert by any means, James, on Triple B, but I will give you my interpretation and also our view as a business having to comply and not just comply, but at the heart of it, support the initiative. Um, so there's 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 one area that could be seen as window dressing, uh, which is just a compliance perspective, versus really being true to what what the legislation is trying to achieve in the South African broad based economy. Um, so at at its core, um, the Triple B policy was really created as a broad based upliftment policy to make sure that people don't just employ um, out of their own 
demographic, if I can put it that way. So traditionally, because of apartheid, um, there has been a view that a lot of the money and the establishment of businesses are in the hands of white South Africans. And I think the legislation came in to say, how are we helping diversify that? And how are we creating inclusive corporates that can actually be responsible for social um, and economic upliftment to help this cause of rectifying the wrongs? Um, So I think the law was brought in really was, I think the motive behind it was really for economic and social upliftment. Um, And that's what the law is trying to support. However, you know, there's been fallout on either side. So right in the beginning, um, you know, there were a few executives, uh, maybe people of color that were appointed to all boards. And it started to develop almost into a few that were really becoming very wealthy instead of this broad-based initiative. So the idea was to uplift all and not just a few elitists. But I think as we put the policy in place and people started to try and adhere to it, um, you know, and it started in government first, um, and it was also difficult for that flow over to go into the private sector in South Africa. So it's taken quite a few years, but I think it's it's actually done quite well and it is widely accepted now in South Africa. Um, so the I think the thinking behind it to make it more broad-based was um, how it practically works is there's a couple of levels uh, and each level have a requirement. So if you're a small business in South Africa, up to 10 million turnover, then you are called um, an an EME, which is an an emerging business. um, And there's some relaxation. So if you're a small business, maybe you're a white South African that started a business, up to 10 million, you know, there's some leeway. So you can qualify at a certain level. So there are a few levels um, in in the scorecard, eight, eight levels in the scorecard. So there's a scoring system. And depending on where you score, Um, you get rated and there's implications in the procurement process of where you are rated. So some companies will have goals of you need to be a level one, you need to be a level two, you need to be a level three. Now, legislation has a level, but businesses can have their own levels as well. So it's fairly um, unique to the business what their intention is in terms of driving economic growth and driving the triple BE policy. But at a government level, uh, there's a set standard, and I think at the moment it's level four, and which is why small businesses automatically qualify as a level four, because I think government doesn't want to harm small business starting off, and they realize that it is a little bit tricky starting a business, let alone making sure that demographically you're represented. So, so let's start with a little bit of leeway. So immediately you get a level four if you're a small business. However, as soon as you go over that EME 10 million rand spend, yeah, and, so, and sorry, just to, to just to jump in there. So, sorry, she may. Uh, so, ten million rand just to convert this to anyone that's listening is about. I think I'll check this and I'll pop it in the show notes. It's about six hundred million. Uh, it's it's about six hundred thousand pounds, which would then be what about seven eight hundred thousand euros or dollars roughly uh but yeah we'll check that and i'll pop it in the show notes if i've got that wildly wrong i'm just trying to do the maths in my head (laughs) while i'm processing this yeah so if i'm looking on xy at the moment so it's about five hundred thousand pounds and it will be about six hundred and sixty thousand dollars 
Got it. Okay. Sorry for interrupting you. Please, please yeah. <laughs> no problem. Sorry. Yes. So obviously contextually, that's quite important to understand the implications. So, uh, and bearing in mind that South Africa companies, although we have some, I think eight or nine on the global 2000 list, um, you know, the companies are a lot smaller sized maybe than um, around the world as well, you know? Um, so yeah. for South Africans, I mean, relatively, um, that might actually not seem so big in pounds or in in dollars or in euros. But for a South African business, that that is, I think, ten million is quite a lot um, for a small business. Um, and that it's an important distinction as well, isn't it? Because you've you've got to give small business. You can't choke small businesses while at the same time you've got to acknowledge that the bigger or corporate businesses or well-established businesses need to do their part and uh, and need to contribute towards the initiative and, and the end goal. So I think that is a very important distinction. I think it also should be acknowledged as well, you know, as corporate organizations roll out diversity policies in places like Europe and North America, that an SME and you know, part part of supplier diversity is you know, corporates are saying that they want to do more business with, business with SMEs. An SME won't necessarily have the resources to have a detailed diversity or sustainability policy. Yes, they need to work towards it, but they you know they're they're not a multi billion dollar corporation that has the resources and the HR processes to to put that in place. So I think that is also a very important distinction, and I hope. It's one that's also mirrored in, in in developed markets as 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 this gets rolled out there too, because uh, because yeah, it's hard enough being. I know it's hard enough being a small business owner as it is without uh, without any more legislation. No, exactly, and that was kind of our journey as well. You know, there's there's three categories. There's the exempted micro enterprises, which I've now just mentioned, the EME companies. There's the QSE, which is the qualifying small enterprises. And then there's the generic, which is any company above 50 million, you know, and, and there's a lot of requirements for that. So I think there's, um, so the EME category is above 10. The QSE is um, greater than 10, less than 50 million South African rand. And then the generic is above 50 million rand. So those are the three kind of broad-based categories that firms need to comply with in terms of the legislation at each level. And okay. the categories that then fit – sorry, I don't know, James, if I might also be going too, too fast. Um, you know, is that kind of clear? Does that make sense to you? Yeah. And, I, and so, I mean, there are, there are different stages depending on the different size of the business. And if you're above then 50 million, 50 million rand, which is about what, two and a half million. I'm just trying to work this out. We'll put it in the show notes. So yeah, if you're, if you're above 50 million rand, then you're essentially then classed as a large business and you have to then comply with everything. So in That's its right. most simplistic, in its most simplistic form, it's around making sure that the racial demography of South Africa is represented in the workforce at, at all levels, right? But it's not, it's not just that, is that there are, there are more nuances around that in terms of point scoring and in terms of different things that you can do as a company in terms of the suppliers that you work with as well. So maybe just talk to some of the nuances around it just beyond the pure sort of personnel and, and, and demographics in terms of your workforce. Yeah, so so interesting then in those categories, well, in those 
three like levels of spend, if you wish, um, or levels of revenue, I should rather say. Um, there are categories of scoring. And I mean, it is quite complicated. So if you're talking supplier management, this is where I feel like once you've done a supplier managed scorecard in South Africa, you can pretty much build something for any company <laughs> in the world because it is so complicated when you're onboarding new suppliers in South Africa. And that's actually a large challenge in procurement today in South Africa because it is very onerous. It is very complicated. Um, and there aren't a lot of systems that manage it well. Um, and I mean, you know, the, the core key Gartner systems, you know, Magic Quadrant tools are all starting to develop their ESG capabilities quite well. Um, but it is still a little up to a consultant to understand how to best enable those features and functions so that it actually produces true value. But in the South African context, the core elements that they score is ownership. One category is ownership. And with that, we Own, meaning, ownership of the business, right? Yes. And that and that's yeah. shareholding of the business, ownership of the by this the category that they called previously disadvantaged minorities. Um and in that category, it's already it, there's also many levels. Um, so in the South African context, there is uh, black females, which is the highest, I think, scoring measurement, purely because of again the history of black women being heavily marginalised in the past. You know, so so there's categories for ownership, but it's not just in terms of. Um, people of color. It's also, are you a male? Are you a female? You know, there's all these other categories that come in. Are you a youth? You know, there, there's, it's not just on person of color. There's other elements that goes deeper into that scorecard that can also help you get more points or less points, uh, if that makes sense. So it's not just a previous disadvantaged um, person of color, maybe. Um, there's, there's other myriads of of, of details that also matter in terms of that scoring. But one key element is ownership. The next key element will be management. So not just are you owner, but what does your management structure look like uh, in terms of top senior, middle and junior management? And then there's also things like skills development. Like can you prove as a business that you are busy training and upskilling you know, the disadvantage. And again, that could be many categories of previous disadvantaged um, and also youth because in South Africa, youth unemployment is such a massive concern. You know, it could be also youth and it could also be for mining companies. For example, there's a mining charter that is even more stringent than most other charters um, that talks about rural development and social upliftment. So, you know, past skills development, the next category would be enterprise and supplier development, um, which is also looking at your supply chain and saying, instead of importing from overseas, what can I do to set up little suppliers around me and give them opportunities um, that can also help me create a, a better sustainable supply chain process? So, so we had ownership, management, skills development, enterprise and supply development, and then finally, socioeconomic development. So those are the core categories, but within them, there's also a myriad of percentages and things you can do. And, and then it's up to businesses to understand these scorecards and apply them and also make sure that you are, you know, kind of picking, in some cases, you can pick some, depending on where you are as a business, some elements that you can do really well and some that you're growing into. 
Um, but it's really coming up with a well-balanced scorecard that actually reflects what you're trying to achieve as a business, but also to meet requirements. Because as a procurement business, if I try and sell my services to um, you know, a large mining company, for example, depending on my level, um, if I'm a level one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, uh, that also helps them claim points for spending on these type of businesses. So it, it is it is actually an amazing legislation that has actually been widely adopted in South Africa. Yes, some people hate it, um, some people love it. Uh, some make can you know create wonderful opportunities out of it. Um, yes, there is corruption because of it. Um, you know, so I think we're still finding a way to really bring out the best of it. Um, so we by no means can say that we've you know arrived and this is a policy that really works. Uh, but I think we are well into finding out how to improve on it, and uh, and I think businesses understand where the pitfalls are um, and how to make the best of it. I'm, I'm really hoping we're over that halfway line of accepting it and working with it and improving on it. And that's a, a fantastic overview, actually. So it's so on the one hand, it's your representation in terms of your workforce if you're a business. But then on the other hand, your scoring is also impacted. And this is how it impacts us as sourcing or as procurement professionals. When you're going out to your external supply base, they will also have a rating one to eight on this scale. Where I think one is the best and eight is the worst, for, uh, right, Shemay? But they, they will That's also correct. have that. Yeah, they will. I remember it from five years ago when I was doing it. Uh, they, will, they will also have that rating. And based on the suppliers that you that you're that you're sourcing or doing business with, that also then feeds into your overall rating as a company, doesn't it? So it's on it's on. There are two facets to this. There are the there's your own workforce, but there's also you know how you what you spend your money on, essentially your supply base, which is clearly heavily impacted by by what we do as workers as as either procurement professionals or on the sell side as as consultants. So. If I look at this then and say, you know, everyone is going to be slightly colored on this politically, depending on where they stand, but trying to view this as neutral as possible, what have been some of the biggest successes and what have been the biggest criticisms and how long has it taken, you know, to really sort of see some of the benefits trickle through? And I mean, I can probably also just speak for us as a EME developing over the last, um, you know, eight, nine years. Uh, we obviously started off as a small consulting business, um, myself and my business partner, Skolp. Uh, we were the two founders of SCP and we were both non-previously disadvantaged individuals. So as a small business, we started off just consulting in our own right and then started to kind of grow into organically hiring more people um, as our contracts grew. Um, and initially we started consulting for some of the big SAP consulting firms or a big four in terms of skills in the procurement space, specifically to large corporates in South Africa. And I think in the South African context, um, eight, nine years ago, a cloud procurement was still new. It went a lot. I mean, people weren't, people didn't even have on-premise procurement solutions. You know, it was still your ERP and that was really it. There were no niche procurement cloud solutions uh, unless it was rolled out from an American company's headquarters, but it was still early days. 
So skills were a real shortage for us. So for us, it was quite a interesting um, start to our business um, because, you know, as a small business, you can't afford super skilled, like you can't go and pinch all your big four awesome procurement specialist because you wouldn't be able to pay them, you know? So, so as a small business, we had to start and grow our own skills. And I think for us, it was a great opportunity um, in, in the corporate system in South Africa because of youth unemployment. There's also a program called YES, um, which is kind of saying yes to um, upskilling youth. Um, and there's also some incentives to take on unemployed black youth bringing them into your business, skilling them up, and then you can jump levels. So if you were a level four and you spend X amount of money in developing the skill, you can actually take your level four up to a level two, for example. So we started to invest heavily in youth unemployment and upskilling. So for us as a small business, it hasn't actually been it's actually been a benefit um, because we are doing something good for our communities, for our country, in upliftment, something that we really care about in the procurement area. And also there weren't a lot of skills to go and find other people. And if we did, they would be so expensive, we wouldn't be able to afford them anyway. You know, So for us, it, it actually worked as part of our model. We were always intentional about developing talent in South Africa, also because um, corruption is such a big a reality in in you know in South Africa, we always thought if we can train up young South Africans to really understand procurement and and morally get it and understand the value system behind it. Imagine if we could place all those youngsters into big corporates one day, that could have a handle on big budgets and help companies do well and uplift economies and uplift the communities and pay their taxes. You know, we could. It's really one way to make it's a it's a drop in the ocean, but. Uh, it's a drop in the right ocean, you know. So I think um, I think for us, it, it's also been a little bit of journey. And I think the challenge with it has also been, though, because, um, and, and I think you mentioned in the intro also in, in terms of brain drain, because of this trying to enable, um, you know, previously disadvantaged individuals, yes, there is a threat on some de- uh, demographic in South Africa, and white males is unfortunately one of those. So, um, because employment is geared at really uplifting the previous disadvantage and there's a lot of policies in place, it seems to be that white males over the age of maybe 40 or 45 are starting to leave South Africa because they're worried about their careers because they're not really in demand at the moment. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, that's been interesting. So, for example, for us, when we um, started with our development of the youth program, you know, you get to a point where you're training and upskilling youth really well, but they become such a target for other big businesses that can actually have, have bigger budgets to upskill, but they don't have the time. So I think, you know, there's positives and there's negatives. You want to uplift and you want to upskill, uh, but the reality is you're upskilling for South Africa and not just for your own business. So I think that that's been a trick for us that that we know that people love our talent and even our customers that we work for really want to poach our, our staff. So it becomes expensive, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's a challenge to keep people in your business because um, because it, they do become a hot commodity for large businesses who haven't had the time right. to train for the, for the skill set that they need. I don't know if that makes sense, James. Yeah, it, it makes a whole lot of sense because if, if you've got the legislation and it is 
broadly speaking, being successful, you also need the education system to be good enough to feed people in so as you can continue to find people that are, that, that are you know, willing to be trained or, or, or open or are reliable enough to, to, to be able to come in and, and for you to develop them. So if you're saying that there's the ones that, the ones that are coming in and are getting skilled up uh, are sort of really hot commodities in terms of the war on talent, I guess you're balancing that against what is, I think, the highest level of certainly youth unemployment in the world in, in, South, in South Africa. So is the education system failing in terms of making this an even better success, in, you know, in terms of feeding businesses like yourselves with the young talent that is hungry, that wants to come in, and that now, thanks to this law, has the access to equal opportunity? Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um our South African um, system, education system, is really not what it should be. And look, I'm, uh, again, I'm not an expert in why it is what it is. Um, I, I think corruption, again, is is unfortunately a large element that funds are used in inappropriate ways and aren't made available. Um, so we have charities that we support to help in, in a certain area in South Africa. Where we donate a large amount of money to, you know, um, a company that helps practically. They've adopted a whole community of schools and they're trying to work with that schooling system to try and get better education, to try and get access to digital technologies, computers, um, you know. Um, so I think I think that is a, it's a big dilemma for companies in South Africa. Um, and uh, it's something we debate often internally as a business um, as to what is the difference. Even in public schooling, private schooling, uh, you know, we'll often sit and debate internally with our young new employees to say, explain to us, like, how do you feel about your upbringing and where you were educated? And what do you think is different from, you know, someone that grew up maybe before apartheid in what was seen to be a, a, a much better education system. You, you know, what, what do we do? How do we fix that? What can we do as a business to incorporate that inequality in how we treat people and how we uplift people? Um, and it really right. takes, uh, you know, it's really a complicated conversation because we see as we are and, and not always other people's realities. And do you think then this will be, you know, over time as this progresses and, and the workplace from a sort of racial perspective becomes a lot more equal, do you think that this will be amended to be more of a class-based law or socioeconomic law rather than a race-based law? Um, I think the two are very closely aligned. Um, I mean, um, if I think of the youth today, I mean, it's scary sometimes. I mean, I'm in my 40s, late 40s, and I, I don't feel like I'm in my late 40s. But <laughs> uh, and 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 I and I think of these youth today that sometimes I don't even understand the jargon, and I think, but am I really that far removed? It felt like the other day that I was in high school, you know. So so there is quite a gap, I think, unfortunately, even for me in my 40s versus a youngster that's coming in early 20s, you know. Um, in, but. But what I see in South Africa, which I think is beautiful, is I, I do think that the conversations, if I see how our young people engage with one another, it's a very different playing field, you know, than maybe yeah. South Africans in their 40s. So I do believe that that within time, I think it, 
I think the class problem is going to become a bigger issue than the race issue. Yeah, that's, I was really interested to ask you that question, Shimei, because you, I mean, the, there are cert, there is certainly racism in in places like Europe, but I do think that it's almost as bad a problem in terms of access to opportunity from a from a social economics from a socioeconomic standpoint as well. So I was just curious to understand. Obviously, with South Africa having so many other nuances because of history, uh, you know how that would evolve. But it's re- it's really encouraging to hear what you're saying that you know the the youth, you know the people in their early twenties are are approaching this a lot more differently. And you know I recall going back to what was it 1998 when when in as a as a Brit, you know, when the peace deal was announced in Northern Ireland and, and everyone was saying, you know, this will take a, at least a generation to, to, to wash through and, and for it to be normalized. And you know, it's 20, well, almost 25 years later, you know, there's still, there are still problems there. Things are getting better, but there, there are still problems. It doesn't disappear magically. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, if I, even if, if, even if I look at my kids and their school, I mean, there's a lot of intentional, programs in the school in terms of transformation, in terms of empathy, in terms of open conversation. And, you know, and I think in our day, and even when we started our business, sometimes you, you don't know what you're allowed to talk about and what you shouldn't talk about because you don't want to make it a thing. And, you know, maybe by trying to address it, you're making it a thing. And so I also learned a lot from our staff right in the beginning in terms of, you know, asking them, like, how do you feel? What do, what do you want me to talk about? How do I how do we not make this something that we sweep under the carpet and pretend it doesn't exist? You know, how do we talk about it? How do we have, and even with the Black Lives Matter campaign, you know, with the George Floyd, um, you know, that really highlighted, you know, some elements of minorities. And uh, it was a big topic in our business to really talk about it and understand how do we create this conversation? Because there's this, you know, we don't think we're racist in any way. No one would think that, you know, nobody thinks that about themselves. But when you press to understand maybe just your views on things and, and it doesn't mean you have to agree with someone, but you have to listen and you have to understand where they're coming from. I think understand. that was for all of us was, you know, was, was really quite a, a good learning. Yeah. And that's a lesson for us all, I think, especially with cancel culture shuts down debate and that's a bad thing you know you, you're always going to have things that you disagree with people on but the best way to understand and to educate yourself is to speak to one another i i completely agree yeah so final but, but question she made before easy. we wrap it <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah so final question she made before we wrap this up if anyone would like to connect or learn a little bit more about what you guys are doing down in south africa um what's the best way that people can get in touch um, I suppose email is always the easiest. If you just drop an email to info at supplychainpartner.com. Uh, otherwise, just look out for us on LinkedIn. Um, go to the website, um, any channel you find. We're really open to engage. If you look me up on LinkedIn, Shamay Gonzalves, um, also happy to respond and have a conversation or a dialogue, um, you know, um, on anything um, in, in terms of maybe challenges in this area or anything else in procurement for that matter. We'd, we'd, we'd be happy to hear from anyone. It's always good to talk procurement with people who get it. <laughs> Shemaine, thank you very much for being a guest. It was great to learn more about how this works, having been on sort of the boundaries of it when I spent a bit of time down in South Africa. It's uh, it's great to be able to dig into this and really try and get under a nation's skin and understand what what is what is working, what's not, and what are some of the challenges and and how this is probably in some form or another going to be coming to 
to us in Europe or in North America uh, pretty soon, perhaps not to the same extent, but I think our sourcing processes well, are already and will change in terms of accommodating some aspects of what you're already dealing with uh, in South Africa. So thank you very much for sharing your thoughts. It was really insightful from my side to learn more about this. And uh, yeah, all the best. Thanks, James. And uh, you know, thank you for having me. And also happy if, if um, you know, some of the listeners have comments or kind of disagree with anything and want to really unpack it and give their view. Um, obviously, always happy to talk and converse and learn um, as, we, as we journey on this unknown procurement world together. Awesome. So that was Shimei from Supply Chain Partner talking all about the black, broad-based black economic empowerment, triple B-E-E law in South Africa and how that affects both as an employer and from a sourcing uh, perspective as well. Join us again next month on Proctorcast where we will have another great guest and another engaging discussion. Until then, if you haven't already, then please join our Proctopus app. We will put the links in the show notes. And we will catch you again next month. Thank you and bye for now.